0: Thank you for allowing us to join you once again, friends, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, partners in ministry. Uh, My name is Grant and I'm lead pastor at New Song Church and it is a real joy to be able to uh, come to you today with some good news from the word of God. Um, I hope that you're able to be joining us at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning to get some rhythms there. Uh, This is going to continue to be the place where we uh, experience uh, the primary um, ministry of teaching at our, our New Song Church. Uh, because we're gonna start gathering as of next week on the lawn on a weekly basis uh, to do some other things that we really want to do well together such as singing praises to God, taking communion, praying for our community, and just hearing news and testimony of what God is doing among us. Uh, So if you're here at 9 a.m. Uh, please feel free to use the chat function. We really have seen some incredible conversations that have have come out of this time together. We've learned a lot about each other from doing that. There's also prayer available. If you need prayer today, please uh, click on that tab and someone will be there to pray with you. Um, So before we get into the text today, uh, I want to talk about something with our community that I think is really important. And I would really appreciate your careful consideration of what I have to say a prayerful consideration, that we're understanding ourselves to be having this conversation in the presence of God uh, and the church. Uh, And that's the most healthy way, I think, to enter into this kind of conversation. Uh, And really, it comes as a result of a question. uh, What are we to make of the events of the past week? And indeed, actually, the past year, uh, let me clarify what I mean by that. Uh, The jury in the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd came to a conclusion uh, just this past Tuesday. Uh, We've been seeing reports of increases in the incidences of violence against Asian Americans. Um, And I want to talk a bit about this, and some might wonder or ask, uh, perhaps even if you've not been around Newsong much recently, uh, why I should be talking about such uh, issues. Well, as I've said several times before, we need to be having conversations about the issues that are so present and widely discussed in our culture and society. Because I think to fail to do so gives people the strong impression that our faith has nothing of value to contribute to the conversation or that we are so spiritually minded that really we are of no earthly use. Secondly, we have brothers and sisters in the faith who are hurting. And wondering why so many of us are so often silent about the issues that are their daily experience. But also, I know many people who follow Jesus who are looking for some sense of direction. They want to live faithful lives, but they don't necessarily know what that looks like. And one of my roles is to try and speak with clarity and Christ centered exhortation and counsel into those questions. As we've said also many times before, there are an abundance of voices and movements who are only too willing to inform and teach and ultimately disciple the people of God to their own cause. Seeking to gather our collective power towards whatever goal they are pursuing, they have in mind, as scripture says, not the things of God, but the things of man when we already in the kingdom have a goal and a calling with practices and understandings and rules for engagement and basic values, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to conform our lives to Christ. Also, these painful events have meaning and we want to be very serious about what meaning we attach to them. Seeking to be informed, by the meaning that we draw from the person and character and the will and the calling of Jesus Christ, who is telling us what these events mean? And this will be the harder road because That is the one that Christ calls us to travel together, not the easier road, but the harder road. We won't be able to walk this road by merely natural means, but we will need to depend on his regenerative work, his transforming work, his powerful work of breaking and then beginning to remake our hearts and our wills and ultimately our actions to conform to his righteousness. So I want to share what I believe are some, some important issues to consider for people who claim to follow Jesus. And this is only the beginning of a conversation into which you're invited. It is not the final answer. Firstly, we need to stop being surprised when people do cruel things, evil things. And in particular, The injustice, don't be surprised at the injustice and the potential to harm people that are actually inherent in all human institutions that possess power. For example, the church has been a place of power where often people have been harmed by the actions of sinful people with too much power and too little accountability. But many Christians still have the belief that nice people in nice churches don't do bad things. So police officers are human beings. They are like all human beings and they are capable of injustice. And if God and the record of human human existence throughout history and through the entirety of scripture is to be believed, human systems are generally always trending towards dysfunction and mutual unaccountability. People in law enforcement are under tremendous pressure on top of their basic human existence and reality. As individual members of our communities, they need our love and support just like any other person. But support is not about silence clearly there is something wrong in our systems of justice and there are dreadful consequences for both police officers and those who serve our communities and also members of our communities who end up at times it seems on the wrong end of broken institutions. Everyone is damaged by injustice and we must care about this. There are many issues regarding life its importance and freedom and human flourishing that are important, must be important issues to us to discuss and to form convictions about. But we must do so with constant prayer and deep reflection. Secondly, we are the church. We are the church, the body of Christ. And this beloved community is formed from people of all colors and cultures and perspectives and experiences. And we have to take seriously the command that we are reminded of whenever we take communion together, the cup and the bread, that it's essential to recognize the body of Christ as we do so. And this language is often thought to refer to like the, the, the dying broken body of Jesus, but actually that's not really what Paul's talking about. The context of this is that Paul is referring to the Christ body, the church, that we are to discern the unity and the oneness that we have in Christ of all this diversity and unity. And the context of these commands that Paul gives that are very strong is he calls it out as almost a blasphemous situation when there is within the body itself serious issues of neglect and injustice and disunity. And so communion at that point in Corinth, that city to whom he wrote, in his perspective, from his perspective, perspective was an abomination and a hypocrisy that was causing real harm. We have black and brown brothers and sisters, some of whom I have spoken with, whose experiences we must listen to and believe. I am grateful to these brothers and sisters for their willingness to share their precious and painful stories of their own lives lived in their own particular skin. And I believe them. And my Bible tells me to weep with those who weep. That's the starting point. No answers, no rationalizations, simply bringing our empathetic presence beside my hurting brother, my hurting sister. I would also suggest that we refrain from judging the anger of our black and brown brothers and sisters. Anger that sometimes looks from my perspective to be out of proportion. And the key here is from my perspective we should seek as best we can to discover the reasons for that anger, recognizing that we at times often become extremely angry also and refrain from judgment until we get a solid grasp on the answers to that question. Perhaps we ourselves could do well to be more angry at injustice and the damage done by our broken human institutions and fragile allegiances. Thirdly, Justice was served this week in one particular case. And we can rejoice in that fact. But once again, there are, for followers of Jesus, a couple of departure points from how some may celebrate the consequences of that act. Earthly justice can never fully heal the wounds of unjust actions. Only God's ultimate justice can achieve that full healing. So we pray Come Lord Jesus, save us from ourselves. Derek Chauvin is a person made in the image of God and someone for whom Jesus died and rose again. His life and that of his family have been damaged through his unjust decisions and actions, his callous disregard for another person. But it's a story that is sadly repeated throughout all human lives. We are no different from him in the essentials of our human nature. We are recipients of an immense grace that we did not earn. Remember, you and I, we are sinners also. We are capable of cruelty and we're also capable of ending up on the painful end of injustice. We are not innocent in this world. Otherwise Christ died for nothing. Christians often say that racism is a sin problem, not a skin problem, as if that takes away the necessity to address it. I would think that for Christians, this would only increase the desire to root it out of our churches and our communities and to own our own complicity and responsibility for it. Fourthly, we need to be really careful about where we turn for information because words as we've been discovering are powerful, ideas are powerful and they shape us they form us where's the best places to get information well here's my perspective I think from God and from your actual neighbors for us so a serious and honest reading of scripture in community I think is a great place to start and also the pastors and leaders here at Song. Uh, Those with whom you're already in community and especially those who are different from you, the person that might sit next to you in the pew or sit next to you on the bus or live next door to you in your neighborhood. You know, I'm seeking to grow and to learn in this area and I'm reaching out to others for my own growth and understanding, my own formation. And I've talked to some folks in our congregation who are very different than I am. And I'm taking that search a little farther afield. I'm deeply grateful to the pastors of the First Chinese Baptist Church in Walnut. They have warmly received my request to connect with them. And I'm grateful to Evelyn Marmalejo for making the introduction to these, these American Asian brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Here's an important concept we need to understand. It's okay not to know everything. You cannot know everything. But I think it's true to say that we hate to feel that we don't have a handle on all the issues. When did it become a point of embarrassment not to have an opinion about every single issue? It's so strange that in any conversation that you see either online or in person, sometimes we feel we need to be able to have an opinion Yet many of those opinions are built on the opinions of others with no real first-hand experience or truth-seeking on the part of the speaker or the writer. And that's not across the board with everybody, but it's so common. We need to be quick to listen and slower, slower to speak. And so here's the wonderful thing. For this entire set of issues, we have a beautiful resource. resource in this thing we call the church. And in particular, I'm talking about our church, New Song. This local congregation has many people with many different gifts and skills and time available to do deep dives into particular subjects and, ex- and they have different experiences and they're waiting to be heard. You know, I probably know more than most of you about theology and church history and the various ways that people have understood, for example, the kingdom of God through church history. I also know more about you, more than you about 1980s British heavy metal, but that's for another time. You probably know about, more about other subjects than I do. You know, whenever I have a science question, I connect with one of our elders, Fuzz Rana. We have a relationship and he is a scientist. I know him and I trust him. If I have car questions, I talk to Peter Tridy. If I want to know about the history of Los Angeles, I talk to Rudy Tarango. If I want to know about the work of international aid agencies, I talk to, for example, Linda Buck, who spent her life working in those areas. It would be the height of arrogance for me to think that I know the most about everything. But sometimes we act as if we do. There's this pressure to feel we have to know everything. We have to ask those who are looking at the world from a very different set of experiences. What 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 do they know? What did they feel? What did they think? And not just assume that we share the same view. And so this is so important because finally, the best way to have these conversations, the best way that we can. In our whole wide culture, the best place and the best way that we can have these conversations is with other people who, because of their relationship with Jesus, have committed themselves to two unifying facts that can lead to understanding and growth. And the first thing is this, a set of principles and values that we can agree on. This common landscape and belief that arises from our shared faith in Jesus. That's the common ground that we start on, that we begin any conversation. And it's a gift. And then the second thing is a commitment to not ever walking away when the conversation gets difficult. So at that point of difficulty, when we feel it being tense, we can reconnect around what is agreed upon And then let those common values restart the conversation again. So Christians of maturity and goodwill who are in good spiritual shape and who appear to stand on opposite sides of these issues must be in conversation with each other. The world tells you that you are enemies with nothing in common. And Jesus tells you that you are brothers and sisters you are brothers and sisters. You can't walk away from the table and your conversations are needed, especially in that place of tension when the world is saying you have nothing in common, you're enemies. So, and when you have these kind of discussions, you, you and I need to ask ourselves some questions and agree to certain kinds of processes. Here's the thing, when we have these conversations, we are not to be debating, but instead together we are from our shared values, we're trying to come to better understandings and better solutions. And it is so easy to find ourselves in cycles of debate. It happens all the time. I've been experiencing that at times in recent times and, and it makes us defensive. If we feel that we've got to defend a position, especially when we don't have all the facts, it creates a lot of heat and very little illumination. We're not debating, we're not defending a position. We're trying to, from a set of common values and a shared interest in the kingdom of God, come to better understandings and better solutions. And that needs us to all be involved with goodwill, with grace, with love, with respect. We need to be doing this work. We have the resources in Christ and we have the power. We also are clearly commanded to do this as part of our calling to love God and to love our neighbors. And this is to be continued. This is to be continued We need to take these things seriously and we don't know all that we can come to know, Uh, but this is a start. This is a start. Let's be praying for our communities. Let's be praying for um, the division. Let's be praying for unity in the church. Let's be praying that Christ would make himself known through our body that we be a place where this conversation can start with peace and mutual respect and love and care, to take the time to be patient May God be glorified in that. So, thank you for your patience with my my words about some of the things that have been happening in our in our wider, wider culture. Um, you know the thing is, you know we're going to go into the text now of Mark, but like none of this is disconnected from the real lives of the people around us and our own lives in the midst of them. This is all important, so uh, we have to we have to connect our theology with with our lived experiences in the real life that we find ourselves uh, living. Um, so, but today, what we're going to get right in. Okay, we've, we've spent some time on on uh, this this these thoughts, these ideas, but um, we're in chapter five of Mark. So we're going to go straight, just dive in. I'm going to read it. It's verses one to 20. If you have a Bible, open it up, you know, don't just trust my word, open up your Bible and let's check it out. There's also a tab, if you're watching online at 9 a.m., where you can actually follow along with the text. Uh, We're doing this together. And here's what Mark writes in this next section. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Just a quick note: uh, People have actually think they've kind of found, located this geographical area. There's some, some previously used tombs with kind of a uh, steep slope down to the shore, about 40 yards away by the Sea of Galilee. And the the Decapolis that is mentioned in the story is a group of 10 cities. Uh, in the Gentile part of this region where Jesus was. <clears throat> you know, it's a real different experience this week, I have to say, in preparing for this message. I had the privilege of expanding the group with, with whom I prepared this message. We have a teaching team on Mondays where Josh and Melody and I get t- together, no matter who's preaching, and we read the word together and, and we discuss it. And, and that I think is important. This is a long-term um, um, really conviction of New Song that that this would be a teaching team, uh, kind of a church that we share that. Well, we expanded it this week on Monday. Immediately after that, I actually brought to the whole staff this text and we discussed it. Uh, And then at Soul Food, which is this 45 minute chance to eat your lunch and just be nourished also by the word of God on Mondays, which anyone can come to at any time. There's no commitment to come every single week. It's at 12 o'clock. Look on the website uh, uh, and you can join in with us there. But in Soul Food, we did the very same text again so that's like three different groups of people with this text reading and considering God's word together what a joy and so this message actually arises out of that wider community engagement this multi-vocal outpouring variety of people experiences and perspectives that joined me to engage with the text this is the church So I want to say thank you to each person who participated in that. This is part of our reimagining what the church should be about. The scriptures are our community's shared resource and should be read and considered in community. There's definitely a place for solitary reading and reflection. I know some of you by yourselves will read your Bibles, but the power of this living word is most effective when God's people come together and come in unity and humility to the word, seeking to meet God together. That is powerful. Powerful. So what in Jesus, what is Jesus up to this time? Man, this is a challenging story. That's one thing we all agreed on. This is a weird story. A strange tale of demons and drowned pigs. You know, last week we considered the necessity of avoiding us-centered interpretations. That's often what we do. We find ourselves centering ourselves in the story, seeking what it's about for me um, and for the story of the disciples in the boat in the storm. We, we wanted to avoid us-centered interpretations uh, at least firstly uh, interpretations and listen to mark's story with ears that are open and determined to discover what he is telling us about jesus that's the whole point of this whole series of messages this is jesus he is the subject And so in discovering then who he is and actually engaging with him, we're most likely to find ourselves receiving that which we most need to know about ourselves and then being moved and changed by his life in us, in that encounter. We start with Jesus and then we move on from there. So in this text, I believe the best way to understand Jesus is to compare the manner in which he responded to and treated this main character, this demon-possessed man, with the way that he's been treated by other people in the story. You know, this man is is a sad, sad story. He had fallen to the outer margins of his community in every way possible. Mark doesn't tell him how he came to be in such a state, but his description of this man is pitiful. Typically, it seems that Such a state comes about by a person perhaps giving themselves over to depravity and then becoming subject to the consequences of that. We're not told the road that he traveled to get to this point, but only that he is now in a far and isolated and painful place. He inhabits the tombs, a place of the dead, Far from the comfort of his friends and his family, his community. Removed from the social life of his world. No purpose, no identity, not even a name. He is unidentified apart from this brief description. A man with an impure spirit. He is alone with his demons. The wording seems to suggest that this man has been this way for a long time. Like the woman that we're gonna meet next week who have been subject to 12 years of this bleeding condition. This man seems to be in this dreadful and worsening state for a long period of time. In verse five and others it says, the man, this man lived in the tombs. He had often been chained. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The local people would probably hear him raving and shrieking in the night and shiver in their beds. He is cutting himself with sharp stones. He seems compelled towards self-harm. The demons that are mentioned in the New Testament seem mostly to desire to firstly dehumanize and then ultimately to kill God's image bearers, people. So let's ask a question, what has been the response of the people who live nearby, his neighbors, his friends, his family? Well, we don't know all of it, but it seems likely that they have have felt powerless to affect any change, to help or save this man. And so they have resorted to the most basic plan of seeking just to chain him up, to immobilize this man, presumably to protect their own selves from harm. And I don't blame them. It's so challenging to deal with such a disturbed person. Life is challenging enough without dealing with such an unpredictable and possibly dangerous creature. But now Jesus steps out of the boat and as his feet touch the earth that he created, a new power is unleashed in that neighborhood. The kingdom has come. The one who is making all things new has come. The one who said he had come to save us has set foot in that land. One of Jesus' first descriptions of his ministry is in the gospel of Luke. Jesus came in the synagogue and he stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that is what Mark has been showing us that he is now doing. And so with the presence of Jesus, things happen very quickly here. The welcoming committee for Jesus' arrival on the shore consists solely of this man of the tombs, Back when we first encountered the demonic forces in Mark, I use this analogy of cockroaches, multitude of cockroaches in a dark room. They're unseen, you can't see them. But when the light comes on, they're revealed immediately and they immediately spring into action to escape from the light. And it seems like the mere presence of Jesus draws these chaotic evil powers out into the open. So compelled by his tormentors, this man comes to Jesus and immediately begins to engage with him or that which dwells within him begins to engage with Jesus. He's sort of a passive observer perhaps in this. But Jesus does what he always comes to do and he casts out the spirits. This seems to involve a tremendous struggle. All this stuff about pigs is very, very, a great deal of conjecture and um, sort of, various understandings of what this all means, but it seems like it was a kind of a struggle. It was no easy task. But then after all the dust settles and maybe the, maybe the waves come back down again, this horrifying, terrifying moment, Mark tells us, he focuses right in on this man. He says the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons was sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Dressed in his right mind. So the townspeople hear about this event and gather to ask Jesus to leave the area. What a tragedy. Why did they do this? Well, it seems likely that this is because of the loss of this large herd of pigs. And it's here that we see something, of the true nature of these people's value system and the way they evaluate people and in particular, this person. Because at first, like the disciples who witnessed the power of Jesus over nature when he calmed the storm on the, on the sea, um, these people are, are, are scared, it says. They're, they're scared of the power, it seems. But then they hear about the pigs. And it's at that point that they ask Jesus to leave, scram, skedaddle, vamoose, go. Get, get out of here. That's the point at which they say, hey, you, you need to leave. As one of our soul food participants said on Monday, they care. They seem to care more about their money, running, their money running off into the sea, than they do about this man's well-being and the amazing transformation that has been brought about. It is a truly a miracle of life, and all they see is financial loss. And before we get all judgy about them, I think we can easily have this very same reaction, and it tells us a lot about what we might value most highly we also can find ourselves asking as we read this story, maybe one of the first thoughts we have is, Jesus, why on earth would you mess with these people's income? Perhaps not even we are sufficiently captivated by the beautiful story of the man of the ruins who has been made whole and well. It actually reminds me of the disciples who in one of the stories uh, that, that we hear in the gospels complained about a woman who had anointed Jesus with this really expensive perfume. Here's what Matthew says about it. He says, When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. It's telling us a lot about how much of a contrast there is between the way we think about things and the way Jesus thinks about things. Jesus doesn't value material possessions like we do, he isn't worried about us receiving our daily bread. But our constant preoccupation with having enough and the fact that more never seems to be enough causes real harm in this world. In this world system of greed and ambition, so many people are lacking basic needs. This is not God's fault. This is our fault. And so Jesus comes into this broken world, this broken system, and he offers his life and presence to the poor and the marginalized. And he invites, therefore, his people to join him in this work, forsaking the pursuit of wealth and power, taking up our cross and following him into service, despite the storms that may have to be passed through to get there, and he seems to be sleeping in the boat, despite the often disturbing situations that may have to be entered into and embraced, despite the fear at times, and despite the times when we are considered to be disturbers of the peace and are politely perhaps, or not so politely asked to kindly leave as soon as possible, I think sometimes we feel like if evil is over there, like these people, if he's over there, then we can feel that we are okay. But Jesus we are seeing calls us to join him in the margins over the sea, across the street, around the corner. I think it's interesting that the story tells us only that Jesus stepped out of the boat, not the disciples. They're not mentioned as stepping out onto the shore, just Jesus. And it's interesting, especially because elsewhere, Jesus has pretty regularly said, Jesus and his disciples did this or did that. But in this case, simply Jesus steps out. It's like Jesus is saying, follow me, get in the boat. Now get out of the boat and follow me. So what parallels can we see in our world with the story, perhaps in our communities? I think it speaks loudly perhaps of Those ones crying in the night, those ones cutting themselves, those ones who are shunned and chained, the homeless, the mentally ill, the drug addicted, people who have fallen into various forms of dehumanization, brokenness. And we are powerless, it seems, to fix them like the people in that town. So very often we just resort to simply either to drive them away from our homes or else to seek to lock them up and try to forget about them, to shut out the sounds of their crying their torment, to not have to look at the wounds on their bodies, lock the door and throw away the key. Evil is confined elsewhere so that we can get on with the business, the real true business of accumulation and the good life. But the gospels tell us that Jesus wants to heal them. He wants to meet them and that he is acting through his body to do so. This is difficult work. It's what he means when he says, follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, love God, love your neighbor. And there are some awesome organizations that we can look at to see examples of this happening. One of the ones that first came to mind when I thought about this was Homeboy Industries. Some of you, I know Marlon Faber has been involved with them and some of you have visited and maybe you've volunteered there. And I was looking at their website and looking at their mission statement and here's part of what they say. Homeboy Industries provides hope, training and support to formerly gang-involved and previously incarcerated men and women, allowing them to redirect their lives and become contributing members of our community. They're welcomed into a community of mutual kinship, love and a wide variety of services that helps them re-identify who they are in the world. Offers job training so they can move on and become contributing members of the community, knowing they count. Another one is Union Rescue Mission. I looked at their mission statement. It says, too often we describe or label people as the homeless or addicts or transients. These are precious people made in the image of God who are currently experiencing homelessness. People should never be defined or labeled exclusively by their current condition, They're mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, sons, and daughters. When we label people, we don't see their potential and the possibilities within them. When we look the other way and ignore people, we dehumanize them and diminish their value. We need to look into our own hearts, change our thinking, and learn to recognize that there, but for the grace of God, go I, and then ask, what can I do? Only then can we make a difference. And we're going to be heading back to serve this organization as soon as it's okay to do so. Uh, We've been down there a couple of times and uh, we had a really fantastic and just very nourishing, growing time. And we learned a lot. You know, we don't know how to do that kind of ministry, but when we go there, we can learn from those who are doing this every single day uh, a lot about their experiences and how we might support them. Uh, Very locally is McKinley's Children's Center. Uh, And they have 28 residential boys who, for whatever reason, need to stay there on a a permanent basis. Uh, We have an opportunity that we're sharing uh, about uh, 28 boys there, the residential ones, who are seeking for mentors. Um, That's going to be an awesome opportunity that you can spend, you know, it's like two or so hours every week. And then they gather together. And it's basically to provide a consistent uh, adult kind of presence and, and, and just an expansion of what these kids understand about being a human being and in relationship and, and opportunities. It's all basically like, it's like saying these kids need someone to say, hey, I see you. And not only do I see you as you are, but I see you as how you can be becoming. It's important work. You know, some of our own church community work in drug and alcohol treatment programs and services that seek to rehabilitate children and adults as therapists or as people who chart a path toward wholeness in any way. And they, they go in Jesus' name. I know they do because I've talked to them. Margaret Atwood and Angel Torrientes and Chris Alec and Pat Couch and Yalen Willis, Chris Anderson and others. I, I, I could pro- probably take some time and list more. But here's the thing. This is, this is not just for specific People, we all have our, our place and it may seem small and it may become something very large and actually feel beyond your capability, but there, there's a call here. We are called to be engaged in this work with people we meet who are marginalized, shunned, isolated, or who've been damaged by the broken structures and institutions or the general cruelty and dysfunction of our fallen world. We need to step out of the boat. We need to step out of the boat and hear the call. Follow me. Sometimes you've got to get back in the boat again and then get back out of the boat again. And in, and in case we don't think we have what it takes to do so, this story has news for us. This is like an exemplary story. It's like the story of Job in the Old Testament when it's like you think about suffering and that concept. You know, Job's kind of this, this it's probably never happened or will happen again to some other person, but it's this long poem about this man, Job. And this is a similar kind of story. And here's, the, here's kind of the point, here's the punchline, is that the worst candidate to be a gospel messenger in that time is chosen and sent. Think about it. So here's, here's all the strikes against this man, this poor man. Number one, he's a Gentile. So not have this ongoing relationship. Who knows what pagan gods or spirits he's been involved in the worship of. And it seems that might've led to some of the bad things he's experiencing, right? He lives in a graveyard, So unclean, according to the Jewish rituals, the fact that Jesus was even there engaging with this is pretty remarkable. Uh, Near a pig farm, a graveyard near a pig farm, that's some prime location, you know, it's location, location, location. You know, you realtors who are watching this, you know, you're gonna have to really spin some yarns to sell that property, right? He's covered in wounds. He's bearing the marks of his life, his self-harm. He is antisocial and he is an outcast. You know, there's been a stormy sea between him and the people of God. Jesus crossed over through storms to get to this place. And there's not much chance of a return journey really for this man in his condition. And day and night he's raving and cursing to the wind. He's possessed beyond imagining. That's really important to realize that, you know we've come across one person who's afflicted by a demon. And this kind of seems like one demon. Elsewhere we hear of Mary Magdalene It says she's afflicted by seven demons. Um, and seven isn't just necessarily saying, hey, there was seven demons, but it, in scripture, it's kind of a, comp- it's a complete number. So it's saying she's completely possessed. Well, in this case, what does it say? Legion. That's like upwards of 6,000 Roman soldiers. The whole fact of this, there's pigs, there's thousands of them and it takes this whole herd to, to kind of rid this man of this demon. And not only that, but like what happens to get him to this place of restoration? He's saved in this terrifying and cataclysmic miracle. It's a real struggle and a battle. Can you imagine? There's actually demons are debating with Jesus, making deals with Jesus. And from this, this man looks like he becomes the very first messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles before Paul and Peter or any other. And he seems to have had some success. In verse 20, it says, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's those 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. You, this is the example Unless you've experienced worse than this, unless you're sunk lower than this, unless you're a worse candidate than this, then there is a calling for you and a place for you of service. And it's gonna be, be good, it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be joyful and there'll be purpose, there'll be fruit. But we have to offer ourselves. The man said, can I come with you? Let me follow you, let me come with you. And he actually uses the specific word for, uh, like the disciples did for follow. It's being disciple, can I be a disciple by you? Can I be apprenticed by you? Can I join your, your group? And Jesus says, go. And sir, go tell the people what God has done for you. And he does it, he's obedient and it seems to have some success. So one last thing, one last really important thing. In our journey through Mark, we're going to come in a few short chapters to another place of death, another place of tombs. And we're gonna hear another man crying out in agony. And we will see another man afflicted and overcome, it seems, with the powers of darkness. Another man with marks on his flesh. Another man bound and rejected. But we will see him break the chains and defeat the powers of darkness. And in doing so, he will make a way once and for all, for all to shake off the shackles of sin, of isolation, of shame, of affliction and Captivity for he is the king of the kingdom who identifies with us in our suffering, joins us in the pain and in doing so removes from us the affliction and the fear of death and restores to us the gift of being clothed in his righteousness and in our right mind. And then he says, go and tell your family and your friends what the Lord has done for you. There was a song by a man called Bob Bennett. Some of you people who've been longer in the Christian world may remember. Him. He's a singer songwriter. And I heard him perform one time uh, up on Orcas Island where I used to work. And, uh, and he was very, very honest. He had a tearful kind of uh, explanation of how he came to write a song that's called Man of the Tombs. And he identified so strongly with this man uh, because he had experienced a lot of much of it self inflicted kind of Trouble in his life, um, but had encountered the radical forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And so he wrote this song about himself in the place of this man of the tombs. And here's how it ends Now I'm a man of flesh and blood. I have a life beyond the grave. I found my heart. I can now be saved. No need to fear. I am not afraid. This man of sorrows took my pain. He comes to take away our sin and bear its marks upon his skin. I'm telling you this story because man of the tombs I was. And I say amen to that. Let us pray. Father, we want to know Jesus. We pray that every hour, every day, every week, knowing that we will often take three steps forward, two steps back, help us to progress in our understanding centrally of of who Jesus is in all of that breadth, all of that challenge and conviction and joy and hope and truth. And then let ourselves be formed and shaped in that image, Lord, uniquely as who we are. And let us then contribute uh, our power, our strength, our love, our service to one another and to our community. Thank you, Father. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.